Hi everyone, welcome back to the It's a Mind Game podcast. My name is Jade and I'm very excited to have Tash joining us today. She is a certified integrative nutrition health coach and breathwork facilitator. She helps women recover from hypothalamic amenorrhea. Tash works with women one-on-one basis to restore their period and improve their relationship with food, movement and their body. A big part of the process is shifting mindset beliefs and weaving in stress management practices like breathwork, all of which Tash is experienced with. Without further ado, welcome, Tash. Hey, hiya. Hi, it's so good to have you on. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. No, it's my pleasure. Now, because you have quite a passion for breathwork facilitation, which is something a little bit new to us, I think I've only had one other guest come on and sort of talk us through that. Um, But with firsthand experience, I've sort of recognised how important something like that is. Um, So I definitely want to dive into that with you a little bit later on. But I guess a good entry point is, would you mind sort of sharing how you got into the field that you're in right now? And if you had HA, what was your story like? Yeah, sure. So yeah, I did have HA and that's what got me into this field. So it was a, a little while ago now and I just stopped taking the pill. I kind of randomly stopped taking it. And then um, just seeing my period, which I thought was kind of okay at first. I wasn't that bothered about it. I was kind of secretly happy about it. And then about six months went past, had all the um, routine checks at the doctors, the blood tests and things like that, ultrasound, internal scan, even an MRI scan, um, all came back as normal. So all they wanted me to do is to go back on the pill. That was their only mm-hmm. kind of suggestion, which is really annoying um obviously that's not great so I didn't want that at all I said I wanted to heal the root actual problem um, but that's what they could offer me so I kind of went on my own little journey I was looking up things online and trying to figure it out I came across hyperflammate amenorrhea but um I've said this before that I didn't feel like I was that severely in that camp so I felt like oh I don't have like a full-on eating disorder I don't I'm not like an athlete and work out all the time um, and things like that so I kind of thought it can't be me surely not but then I suppose once I took a step back um, and was asking other people for their opinion too it kind of did ring true um, I was working out about three to four times a week but usually like in a rush after work I was all in a panic and I had to get to the gym and my gym um, was quite far away just because I love that gym so I was in stress and I got home and it was like rushing to eat And then I still had, um, I did have like some food fears and some food rules that were like sneaking around. Um, And even though I felt like I ate a lot more than my friends, um, I still wasn't obviously eating enough for me and my metabolism and what I needed and the fuel I needed. And also I was kind of like a stress head. I still got a bit of that lingering, (laughs) but um, the little things would stress me out and I'd want everything to go to plan and I'd want to literally plan everything to detail and worst case scenario so all of that on top of each other combined basically to me losing my period um which took me about two just under two years to get back um and also I think genetics played a role as well um because my mum lost her period she was on like a weight watchery diet and then she actually yeah um so yeah that's quite interesting too and then yeah I just found breath work through that journey as well I have so many questions about what you've shared already. (laughs) No, because it's one thing that we know is that there's no sort of basis as to what causes HA. Like it's not a simple process of it's strictly exercise, it's strictly food. Um, Like you said, you were training three, four times a week and 
you sort of had a few food fears, but you wouldn't put yourself in a distorted eating category. Um, and that's what makes it such a tricky space to be in. Um, me, as an example, I was training excessively. I had really low body fat. So when I read up about it, it was like, oh, yeah, that raise my hand. That's me. Um, yeah. But it makes it so difficult for other women to sort of come around to the fact that they might have HA because it doesn't fit. Because it's almost like a stereotype to it. But then when you look deeper and hear more and more stories, there is so much more to it. And there is even journeys of women that are going through HA that might not even do any kind of physical exercise, but their emotional stress is just so high that that is enough to trigger, yeah, you're not going to get a period. You are just not coping. Um, work on that. Totally. I was normal BMI as well um, and normal weight, whatever that means. But they, they put me on the scale and was like, oh, well, you, you are you look kind of slim, but you're normal weight, normal BMI. So it can't be anything like that. They actually encouraged me to carry on with the gym because I did stop it. And my gynecologist said to carry on for my mental health as well. So mm. that's really hard because you're obviously trying to find the best thing for you. And you've read, you need to take a step back from physical exercise, emotional stress. Mm. And then your gynecologist has said, no train. Um, did you, did they ever think that you might have PCOS? No, weirdly, no. Cause I know that's okay. very common misdiagnosed but I had the ultrasound um they just saw that I had a thin lining from that um and weirdly they said to me it looks like you've you're ovulating which doesn't make any sense to me at all because then I would mm. be getting a period so really confusing information I was given to be honest and how long did you have that missing period for so obviously when you're on the pill you were getting sort of like a fake cycle um but how long was it when you were start I guess in the HA recovery period mm. Yeah, so I didn't even know when I was on the pill that that's what it was. Uh, like mm. since coming on the pill and learning and really diving into it and finding the passion within the menstrual cycle, I've now found out so much more about the pill and what it actually does. And obviously that is, it is just the withdrawal bleed. Um, so I don't know if I lost my period during that time. Most likely probably did because I had mm. light period in anyway. Um, and then it took me just under two years from stopping the pill to actually finally get it back. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So there was a, there was a decent amount of time there. And how soon into that journey did you decide to reduce training? And also, could you maybe discuss a little bit about what your eating behaviors were like? Cause you said you didn't fall in the eating disorder camp, but there were still things that needed improving on. Um, paint us a bit of a picture as to what that looked like. Yeah, of course. So in regards to the exercise, I'm trying to think, but I think it was, maybe at the year mark where I really started to reduce it. And that was going to like two times a week rather than three or four times a week, about two times. Um, and I was weight training as well. So just like weightlifting. Mm -hmm. And then the odd hit, like very rarely, like once a month, kind of thing, the odd hit class. Um, and then I reduced it right down to two. And then um, for a few months, I didn't do it at all. And then the gynecologist said to keep it up for my mental health. So then I started doing it a little bit again. Mm -hmm. And then I stopped it again. And I probably stopped it fully for about five months, along with doing kind of other holistic routes and checking in on my mental health that I then got my period back. Um, and yeah, with the eating aspects. So I was actually even counting my calories um, because I actually got a coach after a while because after like a year and a bit I actually got a coach because I felt like so stuck didn't know what to do um, and just needed that guidance someone to tell me like you are doing the right things and I was so I started counting my calories I didn't actually count them that often um at that stage anyway I did in the past and they were they were hitting quite a high number like about 
I don't know if I'm allowed to say calories on here. Oh, no, go for it. Like you can say any kind of numbers. Yeah. Thanks for checking though. It's okay. So it's like about um, like about 2,100, 2,200 they were coming up as Mm -hmm. just before I got, I was, I was telling her that like, I I don't feel like I'm really severely under eating. Um, But in the end I was having to eat like well over 3,000 to get it back. And I guess I I had the different tendencies that I didn't realize at the time. So now I look back, I was chewing gum constantly, like having a packet of gum every day. I was only eating at certain times. I was so strict with my timings. Like it had to be like 11 o'clock. I remember one was like 11 o'clock where I'd have an 11 o'clock snack. But if it was quarter to 11, I was so starving. Like I wouldn't. It's too early. Mm. Yeah. Crazy. Um, and, it, and it would be a certain snack as well. Like the same repetitive food. Um, only my dinners would kind of tweak a little bit. People cooking for me kind of freaked me out. I'd always have to look at the menus before going to a restaurant um bread like I would eat bread but only like once a day so I would if I had a sandwich at lunch I wouldn't then go home and have like a fajita wrap or a panini or anything anything else that's bread like um just some little little tweaks like that really oh and like um I would label food good and bad mm-hmm. and I would only like bad junk food at the weekend I would allow myself to have those crisps and those chocolate kind of binge out at the weekend but Monday to Friday I'd be super clean and did you find that, because with those rules that you had, they, they are quite rigid, but because you were, I'm going to say flexible loosely on the food group front, because it sounds like you were still having a wide variety of food groups. But as the example that you said with the bread, it was still very much like one serve per day. That's it. Do you know what sort of prompted you to learn those rules and behaviors? Was it things that you were researching at the time, like, you know, carbs are the devil, um, stay away from fats, those sorts of things? Or was it sort of, because sometimes you remove, say, things like bread, pasta from your diet, and you, you naturally feel that your stomach does feel better. And then all of a sudden you start doing a little more tweaking, a little more tweaking. And mm. accidentally you end up in a place where you've got 50 different rules that suddenly isn't working for you anymore but you actually don't know you're there because it started off in a really nice place that you're just trying to look after your health and your gut health and you know even just mental clarity people get brain fog if they have too many carbs at different times of the day some people not all so you know the things that you sort of described sound like quite harmless tweaks that become you know a little bit more dangerous because then they started to compound is that sort of how it played out Mm. Yeah, I've never really thought about it like that, which is interesting. Where did it all begin? I'm not really sure. I think I'm just always into health um, and kind of wanting to eat healthy and, yeah, I suppose be the best version of yourself, I guess, and look after your body because you, you've only got that one body kind of thing. But then obviously I took it too far. I, um, I kind of have slightly OCD tendencies that run in my family. And I think I just was a bit addicted to being healthy, I guess, um, and very rigid in that manner. Um, so yeah, I guess that's kind of where it, where it all began and spiraled. Yeah, I guess so. Is that answer your question? No, no, it, it sounds like it was an education thing. It's like you learned something that works to guess, put your body in a better position and then it's like, oh, we'll add that in. And then you've learned something new and you've added that in. And You're just surrounded, aren't you, by diet culture and messages that we don't even realise that are entering our subconscious. So all of that obviously played a part. I, I got into um the gym and weightlifting so again that's kind of I probably didn't do it for the right reasons I probably didn't do it for to be strong it was oh, I want to get lean I want to get a bigger bum or whatever yeah. um, and like that 
for the wrong reasons again and then feel really guilty if I didn't go and I would have um, days where I had to go to the gym there were my gym days so that interferes with lots of other things like social events um yeah stuff like that just way too rigid and out of balance yeah and when you said you saw a coach what kind of coach was that a nutritionist um, okay yeah yeah and did they give you guidance on different um, food groups and things like that as well? Or were they mainly just trying to get your calories up at the start and then sort of work on food rules? Um, so, yeah, they did definitely look at food rules as well and push me outside my comfort zone, which is always good because you think that you're doing it a little bit, but until someone properly edges you, you mm-hmm. kind of, I don't know, you don't really jump for it. Um, so they were looking at my food diary and just making little tiny tweaks because I was actually eating quite a bit of like rice uh, cakes with peanut butter. Like I love peanut butter. So I was always <laughs> eating, that. I absolutely adore that. But I was putting it on like rice cakes or things that are like really low calorie. And like I was eating crisps, but they were the, the light crisps, like the baked, not fried, kind of the healthier versions of everything. Um, so yeah, and I even remember coming off of like two or three of those calls and literally crying, breaking down because mm. obviously they're just trying to push you and it just felt really hard and seeing the weight go up felt really hard. Um, but it needed to happen. I needed that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's almost like the penny drops when someone starts pointing out how rigid you are. And I imagine just by the way, you've sort of described everything that you almost had a level of confidence from having that schedule. It's like that perfect time to eat, perfect time to train, perfect time to get transport from A to B, go to your job, study, whatever it might be. It's, you know, in your mind, it's like, no, but this is how I function. I can't function without it. Um, How did you feel when you started challenging that? Because that's such a big thing to take a step back and go, I'm either going to not follow the clock for the first half of the day or I'm going to eat bread twice a day and I normally do one. Um, there's so many elements of that journey for you. What? How did you sort of chip away at working on those things? So just breaking them down, really, highlighting the issues and literally working on them week by week and breaking them down and having support as well, like from telling my friends, telling my partner and then them encouraging me as well. Um, and I used to tell myself that I hate takeaways and I hate pizza. Like I was like, no way, I hate pizza. And then my partner, he loves pizza. So he would order pizza and he'd be like, you're going to have some, come on, like you're trying to get your period back. And I had it and I actually really liked it. And I was like, oh my God, I've actually just told myself for years, I hate pizza. Like you literally just tell yourself these things. Um, so yeah, just having that support and that extra push from people. Because I wasn't afraid as well of telling people, like all my guy mates, even people at the gym. I was very open about it. I was just like, I've lost my period and I've got hormonal issues. And oh, I truly believe the truth sets you free. Like owning yeah. it and just letting people know that you're working on your health. Um, yes. And at the end of the day, it's only a period. If someone's like, oh, why are you telling me that? <laughs> it kind of highlights a little bit about their personality than anything else. Like it's just a period. Um yeah but having that ownership, but it sounds like you had a really supportive group around you though. Like even your partner to sort of step up and push Mm. you to say, Hey, this is what you're striving for. You stepping Mm. away from the pizza isn't really going to help you. And like, if it turned out that you didn't like the pizza, whatever, but the fact that it turned out you did is fabulous. Yeah. Yeah, completely. And I remember watching, I think it's Stephanie Buttermore, her which is really amazing on YouTube. And I was showing my brother and my partner that, and yeah, just getting their insights on it and they could fully understand it as well. Um, I do recommend people to watch that. It's quite a good one. And even they, they were, 
I don't know if it was good or not but they were saying like oh that's so easy like I wish that was me I wish I just had to sit back and Mm. eat a load of food and obviously there's way loads more intertwined in that and all the mental aspects of it but it sounds really easy that people even get jealous about it um on the like just on paper the fact that you have to rest and eat more they're like well that's great what are you complaining about Mm. and it's a really difficult thing to listen to because you can understand why they're saying it it sounds positive um but then at the same time it's like oh but if you had all the rules that I've got and you're working through this it's so different to that um and just like gaining weight like it's not a bad thing at all to gain weight especially if you're going to gain weight and be a healthier size but we're just obviously surrounded by all these like messages that are so wrong that mm -hmm. it just makes us and get scared when we see any weight um our weight going up did you find that your weight so sorry if you don't mind me asking how long have you had your period back for now yeah a year year oh wow well done so good did you find that your weight started to stabilize because it's really common that your weight sort of shoots up you get your cycle back it still might go up for the first two three four cycles and then for the most part women either sort of stay to steady state or it naturally drops without any you know decision to lose weight did you find that happened with you yes but I've only recently noticed it so about a year in the first few cycles were kind of a bit all over the show I'm not gonna lie like the the first three I think the second the second one took so long it was like 60 something days like 66 days or something crazy I was totally freaking out um (laughs) it's the longest month though isn't it it's like you expect it to come and then it didn't and every day it's like are you coming are you coming (laughs) I went through the same thing and I just that month felt painful (laughs) we did so good (laughs) and then I've had like a few little um like blips as well where my ovulation has run away from me but all of this is such a learning curve and I love that um because I track my cycle so yeah I love to see when I've got little blips when I had I started having coffee again um and then started working out a bit too much and I had little blips in that so yeah I absolutely love tracking my cycle but um what was the question again sorry I totally lost a thought there no, no, you, you answered it perfectly. It was just how your weight um, has stabilised because you said there was uh, blips in the cycle. So you're ovulating, not ovulating, um, but how your weight has fluctuated over that time. Yeah, so it has it's kind of um, gone a bit down. Yeah, just naturally of late, um, not, not forcing it. Yeah, it just has redistributed completely. Yeah, and are you training at the moment? Yes, but only about once or twice a week, really quite chill once or twice not as heavy as before and there's not them ties like I need to do it right now I have mm. to go today it's way more chill and much more enjoyable because I started to fall out of love with it as well towards the end and now I have got that kind of love like I actually enjoy going yeah it's like you you forget that you've got the choice to go it becomes mm. a, a you, you must like there's no other possible opportunity and the freedom that comes from knowing you've got that choice is amazing I find um, you know, yeah. one day if you are super busy or you're just not feeling up to it and you can go, no, I'm just going to have mm-hmm. some time to myself, read a book, catch up yeah. on work, whatever it might be. Um, it's almost like a liberating feeling to go, I've got the power to make that decision and not feel bad about it. A hundred percent. And even like on my period, I always honour that now. I don't really do anything at all. I, I try and rest. I try and tune inwards. I feel like it's a massive permission slip to just surrender and chill out. Um, and listen to your body so I don't even I feel all right I don't do any exercise during that time as well um so yeah just really appreciative of my periods now 
Yes, it's such a mind shift, isn't it? Because at the start of the our chat, you said that you didn't really mind that you weren't getting a period. And that's really common too. It's sort of a, it's a convenience. It's like, well, I don't need it. It's, I don't need to worry about planning anything. I don't need to worry about buying products. I don't need to worry about, you know, so many things. And it, were you early 20s when you lost your, how old were you roughly? Um, so I'm 29 now. So ah, me too. <laughs> yeah, but I just remember it was like I don't need to spend money on sanitary products. Like that—that's another tick on the I don't need my period box. And I think there's something that comes with maturity of as you start reaching mid 20s and later on, suddenly that thought sounds so silly. But and in the moment, you felt quite wise about it. It made sense. It was logical. And who's got the time? Um, mm. Do you often look back at some of your thoughts back then and go, oh, my goodness, I wish I had, you know, hindsight's perspective of, no, these things are important and you should be working on X, Y, Z? Mm. That's an interesting one. So I used to back to back my pill as well um, to stop my pill all the time, which my friends always like, you shouldn't be doing it that often um, just to stop having a bleed because it's so annoying it was annoying to me at the time yeah. but I guess in hindsight I would have liked to have had more information about the pill and what the pill actually does um I was reasonably young I think I was well I was about 16 or 17 when I went on it and I was on it for ages um but maybe they give you the leaflet so I guess I should have read up on it and googled but I just took it and didn't really know so it would have been nice to properly know and have the awareness but I think that everyone's journey happens for a reason. So mm. I needed to go through all of those loops because that's where I'm at I'm now and that's why I'm helping people now. Um, so, yeah, I do. I don't really regret not knowing, I suppose. Yeah, no, it's a beautiful thing. Um, I find it interesting how pretty much everyone who has jumped on the pill, because myself included, 16, 17, you go to the doctors, it could be because your skin's out of control, because your period's out of control. Generally, they're the main reasons you go. Like, yes, there's the contraceptive part, but... I know from my friendship groups and things like that, they were the main reasons we jumped on it. And at that age, you just assume the doctor is going to be giving you the best solution. And you don't know any better to read the pamphlet because if it was dangerous, surely they would tell you. Surely the pharmacist yeah. would tell you. Um, and Perfect. I never once thought to read that leaflet. And most people I speak to now never once thought about it. But I guess the backlash of that is a lot of women I speak to now will openly say, look, I, I was on the pill, but as soon as I found out that it's not a real bleed, it suppresses my ovulation, it can cause depression, and this massive long list of the things the pill does, I'm finding a lot more women actually aren't on contraceptives, which is amazing and mm. such a powerful movement that's happening through this conversation and awareness of literally mm. your fifth vital sign. Yeah, and getting in tune with your body. I, I use facility awareness now. Um, I Yeah, I think that that works for me. And just yeah. knowing my body more now and tracking my cycles, it's just great. I love it. I love, I'm so much more in tune with my body now because of it. What do you do to track your cycles? So I check my cervical mucus and I also take my basal body temperature every morning and then just jot it all down. Um, Beautiful. Do you use an app, pen and paper? I use an app. Yeah yeah so it's really easy see when I've ovulated check the signs know my fertility window and and what you can either do or don't do in that time yeah um and just fully know what I'm doing really yeah and do you find that the longer that you've been tracking your cycle the more you've got to learn the rhythms of your body as well and with that have you noticed that if you 
have a really stressful week at work or things with family members, relationships are a bit funny for a month or a week or a couple of days. Have you ever noticed that your temperatures or CM changes from time to time? Oh, 100%. Really? So this cycle I've just finished. Um, all my After the first like three periods, they were all, they were all regular, all, all cool. I think there was one little blip, like I said, about I was having a bit of too much coffee and I started working out kind of neglecting food and taking coffee a little bit I was a bit silly and then my ovulation was running away from me and I was seeing that um but then literally this last cycle I've had some stress in my personal life I haven't been sleeping very well and I come on five days early which is like really huge so my luteal phase was only nine days which isn't optimal should be between 10 and 14 so yeah I can totally see that um but I did ovulate I definitely did ovulate but just the luteal phase was only nine days and yeah, I came on really early. So yeah, yes. I can totally notice these signs my body's giving me. Yeah, that's great. You can make those connections. I, I've i never done tracking to that degree, but it's something that I'm looking into at the moment because I find it really fascinating to link up, especially emotional stresses or even how you said the caffeine. Because um, mm-hmm. it's so easy because to just drink too much caffeine, especially if you love coffee. Um, yeah. Once I used to use it as a meal replacement, but now I, I just love the taste of it. So it's not a bad intention, but still, you know, caffeine's got such a strong effect on our hormones um, that we do need to pay attention to things like that. Um, now I've seen through your Instagram, you also do some stuff with moon cycles, which I find incredibly fascinating. Could you share with us a little bit about that and how you use it for like your own cycle? Yeah. Yeah, so every month me and my friend Charlotte do a moon ceremony, a full moon ceremony. Um, and the moon is quite linked. It can be seen that it's to be linked to our menstrual cycle just because of the amount of days as well. So the, the lunar cycle is 29.5, I believe, days. And then the menstrual cycle on average, I'd say, is 28 days. Um, and then usually back in the olden days, we would ovulate around the full moon and around the new moon when the moon is dark and you can't see it. That's when we would go inwards and we would have our period. Um, so yeah, and it, and it like the moon affects the tides and we're made up of like 60 or 70% water. So it's all very uh, much linked. Um, I seed cycle as well, which could be considered to do with the moon because when I didn't have a period, I was going with the moon cycle in order to pick the right seeds. Um, now obviously I go with whatever cycle I'm actually on um, and yeah and it's just it's great as well to get into the moonlight when it's the full moon as well to try and um, like fling, flick the switch on I guess for ovulation that can help just the, like the moonlight um, yeah and it's just I don't know I just really love the the energy of it as well. Do you have any particular practices that you enjoy that sort of complement the moon yeah. cycle and your cycle? Um, so I like to do journaling on both the full moon and the new moon, but usually we do it every full moon. Um, we actually hold a ceremony and I love breath work. So I like to weave that in as well, just meditation. And if I can sit outside again with the moonlight as well, when it's full moon, I try and do that as well. Any kind of grounding practice where you put your feet on the ground. Um, it's yeah, really good and centering. Could you talk to us a little bit about the breath work? practicing that you do, how you got involved with it, um, I guess how you help clients and also how it impacted your HA recovery? Oh yeah, so um, for years, like my boyfriend and my brother have always done breath work and they've always told me like, it's amazing, do breath work, do breath work. And I just wasn't into it, I was just like, no. But randomly, I just chose to do it during my period recovery journey. 
and I had like a really crazy experience where um, I had like memories come up about about my mum and dad because they um, split up and that kind of caused a bit of trauma in my life um, and that, that I had their memories coming up during it and I was crying and kind of like releasing some stuff which I found crazy and I, I was just like oh my god like everyone needs to know about this why have I not done this um, and then I then I had other ones other experiences such as um, feeling intense swirling sensations I've mentioned this before around my belly area around my, my like lower lower belly womb area while doing breath work and then that was um, really close to my recovery period I, I had that feeling during breath work and then five days later got my first recovery period so I believe that that was like moving stagnant energy in my womb space because I could literally feel something swirling and like moving so obviously we're all made of energy um so yeah I just had some really crazy experiences with it and just felt so deeply peaceful in it and it was something that got me out of my head and into my body which is really important um for so many different things and there's just so many benefits to breath work um like mental clarity helps with anxiety depression helps unblock stagnant energy in the body helps with your immune system digestion so many different things and yeah I just really connected with it at the time I needed it like I said like people were encouraging me to do it but I guess I just followed my own intuition I guess and used it when I actually needed to and then I was like oh my god I need to learn how to do this and then enrolled in a breathwork course. So you said it was your brother and boyfriend that suggested the breathwork? Mm, what kind of breath work because I hear breath work and especially coming from a male and there's a lot of male followers for the Wim Hof method and was that one of the breath work practices they were following or were they doing something different yeah they were doing yeah along Wim Hof Hof. yeah um similar what I'm trained in it's a three-part breath and it's belly chest excel with your mouth open reasonably similar there's not the holds um and I think, I don't know how long Wim Hof does it for, but I don't think he does it. We do it for like half an hour. I don't believe he does it for that long. I'm not sure. Maybe he does. Mm. Um, so slightly different, but yeah, I just found my own groove with it. And what was your entry into breath work when you first started experimenting it with your, um, for yourself, how you said you had those experiences where memories popped up and you had the swelling sensation in your stomach. Was it something that you just looked up online, like a YouTube or um, found a book about it and just sort of started trialing and that led you into doing the course? Or did you sort of hear about it, dive straight into the course and just submerge yourself? Yeah, so I went on YouTube and just found a few videos from there and just, yeah, randomly felt called to do it one day. And then, yeah, just it went off from there. Then I found a course that resonated with me and then enrolled in that to add to my coaching certification certification um so I just thought it'd be great as like a well-rounded thing for people because it's really great Mm -hmm. for stress management and how you handle stress in everyday life and then also it can unblock stagnant energy in the body and any kind of trauma even things that you're holding on to that your body's holding on to that you're not even aware of so I just thought um as I like to look at things as a whole not just like oh what are you eating and uh, um like are you exercising I like to Mm. literally look at your sleep your relationship how's your work so I thought that'd be great to add on to that really and weave in do you how do you find when you introduce breathwork to people because it is something that's sort of up and coming and I find a lot of people hear about it and go oh I'd love to know more about this it sounds really simple I've heard some great things and then you've got other people that are it's just your breath like we all breathe all day long there's nothing to it 
Yeah. Have you ever had clients sort of come in that were a little bit more withholding towards that method and then warmed up to it? Or do you generally find people are quite open? They're in a place where they just really need help. They're willing to try anything. Um, What sort of obstacles have you faced with introducing that practice with people? And also what are some of the results that you found happen when people introduce these methods? Yeah. So I've mainly found people are on board hundred percent. They want to try it and they want to experience it. And then there's some resistance during the breath work because the breath is kind of abnormal, I guess. We're not, we're not breathing in that way all day long. So it feels kind of weird. So people can feel resistance towards it at, at, at the beginning, which is completely normal. Um, but I usually find that people absolutely, and they just feel really blissed out and peaceful and also we're so used to breathing shallow, like into our chest, which is not great for us. Um, it's um, making our body acidic. And so this breath makes you um, breathe into your belly and alkalizes the body. So it's got benefits. And with clients, I've, I've seen them just feel really like blissed out. And I get messages saying that they just felt so relaxed. But I've also one that like sticks in my mind is um, she was crying after just a few songs, like halfway through, not even the full breathwork session. And she said that she just had all these thoughts come up about um, not being good enough. And she was crying, like letting it out and just was like, I am good enough. Like I, I, I do accept myself. And then afterwards she went and journaled on all of that and I just found that really powerful that really hit me that because obviously when you're going through the peer recovery journey usually I don't know you, you don't feel like you're you're good enough and mm. you want to be accepted that's like your core belief there underneath everything why you've done things why you're looking after your health or going to the gym whether you just want to be accepted so it's really powerful for her to have that come up in such a meaningful way just during your breath just unlocking it during your breath Mm. and recognizing that a lot of your decisions are based on other people's perceptions because mm. the way you describe that it sort of sounds like that was the breakthrough that it's like oh how many many decisions am I making every single day to make everybody else happy versus mm. what am I doing to make myself happy and yeah. you know that it's not a selfish thing to honor what you need and even what you want like it's okay to be open about what you need to flourish um yeah. I guess backtracking a little bit you said that mentally during the HA period of time that you were emotionally stressed out a lot you were rushing from one place to the next everything was go 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 um how would you describe I guess your mindset and that go 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 factor now and if you feel it sort of kicking back in how do you work with it and get yourself grounded again Mm. so I try to have morning practice every day before my morning practice was very structured so it was I need to do yoga and I need to do meditation no matter what which again was just that rigid mindset still gripping on whereas now I kind of decide what I want to do how long I want to do it and just trying to tune in and then I allocate myself I have to schedule it in otherwise I just don't do it I know that's quite rigid but I schedule in one breathwork session a week because I know how beneficial it is for me um but I just have that hesitation where I'm just like, oh, something else will pop up. So I need to mm. actually write it down. Um, so I do that and that really centers me, grounds me and just, yeah, keeps me in focus. Um, yeah, they're, they're the kind of things. I think my general outlook has changed. I'm not so rushing around and I can feel 
when I am a bit too rushy and even like in my heart like I'll, I'll sit there and my heart might feel a bit more rushy and just to take those deep breaths so yeah it's just it's just changed my outlook on everything I really needed to lose my period and be smacked in the face and just be like it's too much just slow down um mm. I totally needed it I'm really grateful for losing it to be honest yeah so many I like life lessons happen throughout the journey and I find you know during that time I remember thinking why me like, why do I need to make all these decisions and make all these changes? You know, there's plenty of other women out there that have got a much more crazier routine than I've got. And they've got periods and they're pregnant. Why is this happening to me? And then I look back, you know, once I got my cycle back and the way my life changed mentally, physically, emotionally, and it truly was the best thing that ever happened. Mm. And I can look back now and go, oh, I wish I sort of come to certain thoughts and realizations earlier. But as you said, you know, you, you actually need the time and the delays and everything does fall together to be the perfect journey for you. Even though yeah. in that moment, it doesn't feel like it. Everything's happening to you. Um, I guess that that shape shift is when you can look back and reflect on it. It's like, no, everything happened so perfectly and mm. almost like this dance of how of, of a formation. Um, when you look back at your life back then to how you're living now, do you ever sometimes get concerned that you might slip back into that rigidity because it's a it's a tricky one because part of it is if I want to be successful in my business and be healthy and do xyz throughout the week you know we do need some level of structure to be able to get all those things done but I guess it's the emotional attachment you've got like you just said earlier how you still schedule in your breath work and practices of a morning but it's not a set duration. You kind of wake up and go, oh, what am I feeling like today? What have I got time to do? Um, how do you sort of keep that on the right track where you're not slipping into it must be 30 minutes, must be 25, and you can kind of just wake up and go, what do I need today? Mm, I think just awareness, that's really important, checking in with yourself, but as well, even people around me. So like my boyfriend would be like, that's, that's you seem a bit too stressed or... I don't know like you're thinking worst case scenario here and it just put me back into my place like oh yeah that's like that's how I used to be um and just yeah people around you realizing if you're slipping back as well that can mm. help I think yeah um yeah I'm trying to think of anything else but I think yeah you just it's just awareness really and awareness with food like sometimes on the odd occasion I might have a little thought because they don't really truly go sometimes the, the voices of of your like disordered thoughts sometimes they, they just like float away a little bit I'm not sure if they're 100% go so sometimes they might come up like oh you don't need that extra bit of that or you don't really need to eat that you're just eating that and then I'll be like well no because I'm hungry and I'll, I'll just mm -hmm. go over that um so yeah just yeah so much better now and like even yesterday I had I had breakfast and then half an hour later I was like oh I fancy some more so I just had some more breakfast and yeah I just don't even think about it now really and it's such a nice way to live isn't it just to be able to make those decisions on the day in the moment and not be thinking about oh because I ate extra now I can't eat extra later or even yeah. the time block it's like no I'm hungry now I don't need to wait two hours to eat it I'm hungry yeah. right now and I'm going to have something to eat have you That's noticed um, if your relationships with even friends, family members have shifted since you've been able to sort of take a step back, tune into your body, what you need? And I guess it sounds like you've found such a, 
a calm way of living. And of course, I'm sure you still get stresses and, you know, all those conflicts that come up in our everyday lives, but you've got that gauge as to, Hey, I'm, I'm getting a little bit too far into the stress lane. Let's, let's take a step back. Um, how have your relationships shifted since sort of that awareness and learning how to work better with your thoughts? Yeah. So I think that they've got better for sure, because I'm not so bogged down with the gym and like what food I'm eating. And like, if my friend did say I'm coming around and um, should we have a food, have a takeaway, like I had a takeaway last night, I'll just have it kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Whereas before it'd be like a massive deal. And if my friend's going to cook, because my friend likes to come around and cook here, actually, she's really good at cooking. It That would be a big deal. And I'd be like, oh, what are you going to cook us? And like, I don't know, I'd have to just really plan it and maybe restrict through the day. Whereas now she'll just come around and be like, oh, yeah, that sounds quite nice. I'll have it. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess it's just way more chill level that they must be able to realise as well because they're not sitting with someone that's super stressy or like the really annoying person at the meal, um, like at a restaurant, who's being really picky and is like, I don't want any of this. Like I used to be so picky at restaurants, which would just be really annoying and put the mood down for everyone else. Yeah. And it makes it hard for you to enjoy the moment as well, because you're so conscious thinking about, are they going to listen to me and, you know, not put in as much oil as they meant to, or are they going to take out that ingredient or are they going to keep it in? And meanwhile, you're meant to be enjoying a conversation with your best friend or your mom. And instead you're talking to them, but your brain is literally thinking about what's going on in that kitchen. Yeah. I know it's it's crazy really, isn't it? But it's just, it's actually quite a common thing or maybe because we're in this space, Mm. it feels like such a common thing for people to feel like that um but yeah it's, it's really crazy but you can definitely change it for sure I think the eating disorder thoughts though in general are so common and I the language you use is that they're quite sneaky and mm. I love that you keep using that term because there's so many people that do have distorted eating thoughts that think that it's normal because everyone has them. Um, And I guess a key one would be if you're going out for lunch with someone and everyone kind of assesses what everyone's having to gauge what they should have. And it's like, oh, well, if everyone's already in salad, I I better have salad. And, Mm. or if someone's having the palmer, oh, maybe that's okay for me to do that. And if you go out for lunch or dinner or, or whatever it might be, and you kind of just suss out other tables, it's a really common thing. You can see the body language of people looking to others to say, I need to make my food decision based around what your food decision is. And sometimes it'll take people God knows how long to order because you can see the back and forth of, I need you to choose first so I can choose. Or have you ever noticed that since you sort of opened your mind up to your own perceptions that you soon start to notice other people's and it could be even um, day at work, nine to five job, let's go out for lunch. And it's like, well, do I get a sandwich? Do I get a salad? Um, do I just not eat at all? There's so much thoughts around food and it's so complicated um, that because it's so prevalent in our community now, it's made to feel normal. Mm. Yeah. And even with like alcohol too, like, oh, if you're not drinking, I'm not going to drink. And yeah, just just things like that. Um, I suppose, yeah, now you're saying it, I do notice it completely and you are more aware going through this journey I think of diet culture related topics and things like that or even the word the word fat I absolutely hate now I absolutely Mm -hmm. hate it and I can't have people say the word around me and I have to correct them and talk about health and yeah I don't know just it opens your eyes to everything basically a different Mm -hmm. way of labeling things and labeling health as well completely 
and utterly that word is so different to me now yeah how would you define health now like if you're working with clients and they just say I want to be healthy do you break that down with them and go well what does health mean to you so that you can be clear on that and also what does health mean to you in your personal view yeah I would definitely break it down and I always like to break down their goals and what would it look like if you actually reached your goals like literally everything what would it look like what would it feel like if you reached your goal and healthy to me is just completely well-rounded so is your sleep healthy is your relationships healthy are you feeling like energetic is your relationship to food and like is your mindset healthy just as everything as a whole not what you look like at all because that is so deceiving Mm. crazy especially with body dysmorphia too because Mm. you could turn around and go well I need to look a particular way so that I can be quote-unquote healthy and they might already have that body but the they just can't see that and I guess it's that unfulfilling goal as well thinking that if you look a particular way you're going to feel a particular way Mm. and if it's anything I think most of us have learned throughout these journeys is that your happiness is not attached to your weight or the physical shape of your body. And the more we sort of get that word out, the more it's going to help other people, because unfortunately it seems to be one of those things where everyone needs to learn the hard way. They need to go through the trauma of dieting too much and training too much and stressing over all these things. And at the time, there's a level of ownership over it. It's like, no, but I'm doing this for me and this is going to make me great and love life. Mm. And it just has the polar opposite effect. And shaking free from that sounds so contradictory because it's like, well, how can I possibly be happy if I'm not in this perfect body? And it's because one, perfect doesn't exist. And two, the perfect body does not reflect mental, emotional, or physical health. Not one little bit. No. And Do you find that happy, you... If you're not happy in that body, then you're not going to be happier in a bigger body or anything or smaller body. It starts from within, doesn't it? Absolutely. And when I was at my smallest, even even just things like you, my bowel movements was not, not right at all. Mm. So therefore, not healthy just yeah like I looked healthy from what people saw on the outside because I was leaner and like in in shape if that's even a thing um but so not healthy not healthy mentally not healthy internally everything Mm. that's where I guess some of the the danger started though was people started looking at someone and going Mm. you've got abs you must be healthy you must be so fit and healthy um and you look to a lot of people now and that's what they make the judgment on it's not, um, obviously no one's going to walk up to you and say, oh, do you have your period? Because that's just not socially acceptable. But for the most part, if someone had say washboard abs, they go, oh, they're so fit and strong. That's, that's yeah. the, that's the goal. And it's like, no, they haven't had a period in two, three, four, five years and they won't eat but- pizza and they can't eat in front of their best mm-hmm. friend or like, there's so much to what you think health looks like. And if only you could really see what was hidden behind that body and, um, you know, some people can have that perfect relationship with food and have that body. And that that's fine. It does happen. Not everyone, you know, we're not all the same. We need different things to thrive and flourish. Um, but I wonder when we'll get to the point of time when people won't look at someone face value and assess mm. their level of health. Because mm. it's on the other side of the fence too. You've got someone who's in a bigger body and you might make the same judgment of like, they're not healthy. Look at them. And you know what, realistically, that person in the bigger body could have much better mental, physical 
mm. health than the person who looks like the Instagram model. Oh, 100%. Yeah, 100%. Do you sometimes find yourself having those conversations with clients if they come to you saying, I need to lose weight, I need to do this, I need to, I need to, I need to, because you seem to have that real holistic approach where it's like, no, let's get you mentally well, physically well. Um, do you sort of find yourself coaching women through that first, sort of defining what health means, why they're chasing the body rather than why they're chasing health? And could you sort of yeah. tell us a little bit about how you help women through that? Yeah. Yeah, that's really important. Otherwise, you're not really going to get anywhere. So we dive deeper into what the actual core belief is there. Usually it does come out to being wanting to be accepted a lot of the time. So it's like, oh, why do you feel like that? And just digging deeper. Oh, and if that was true, then what, what would that mean to your life then? And if that was true, what would that mean? And just going deeper and deeper, finding out the core belief and then trying to challenge that and make up some things to challenge it. Um, I've done some CBT as well. So I, I like to weave that in too. Um, yeah, and just trying to f totally flip the lid on what people think health is which often clients do say that 100% that they completely change their view on what health is, mm -hmm. which is the goal really. Because then they can also spread that to their friends too and mm -hmm. you've got that ripple effect, which is great. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess that's where it is. I see it as an exciting time right now because there are so many more conversations around what health really is. And yeah. unfortunately, so many women have had to go through HA and eating disorders to get us to where we are now. But social media has proven to be such a wonderful thing because if you look back years ago, HA still happened and eating disorders still happened, but there wasn't that space for women to talk about it because realistically social media just wasn't there so everyone kind of suffered in silence and might have read a book or saw a psychologist but it was very close to just the people that they were working with and now we're in a situation where everyone can put their hand up and go oh this is happening to me this is how I fixed it and this is how my life has changed since I've stepped away from this view um you know it's still super common that if people want to lose weight they feel like a comp prep diet is the right diet and that blows my mind still because after going through experiences like ours, we know that that's so far from what you need to do to shift a little bit of weight. Like if you want to compete on stage, yes, you need to go through that process. And if that means um, playing havoc with your hormones and you've decided to do that, like that's a personal choice. You do you. Um, but the idea that some people are still under the belief that such extremes are the only way you can live healthily um, is incredible. Do you coach people through, um, you know, of course you do integrative nutrition. Um, do you encourage calorie counting? Are you more mindful eating? What are your practices around getting people more aware of their physical response to eating food, their emotional response to eating food? Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, just that whole world of things, really. So I get people to do a food diary for me. And I look at their food diary. I don't want them to be counting their calories and getting stressed out about that. That's not really needed. Um, that can quite hinder the process. So I look at their food diary. We just obviously talk about how important carbs are, fats are, things like that, and talk a bit about fiber. Um, so yeah, that's I look at it basically and I, I help and analyze their food diaries. Wonderful. Now, if anyone wanted to reach out and connect with you, where is the best place for them to find you? Probably over on Instagram. So at whole.heartily.tash. 
Yes. And you've got a wonderful page. I've been reading your posts ever since I found you and, um, and the reels as well. They're so relatable. Most of them I'm like, oh yeah, that was me. Oh yeah. I thought that too. So definitely jump on Tasha's gram because it's so great. Um, Thank you so much for coming on and having such a wonderful conversation and sharing some insight into your HA recovery journey and also how you're helping women sort of get through those stages of life now and find something that's happy and fulfilling and, and healthy, but for the, the real health, not for that, you know, image that we've got stuck in our heads. Um, yeah. And, you know, your story was quite unique too, because I'm just thinking about it now. I've had quite a few guests on and share their journeys and it they tend to fall into that excessive overtraining crazy diets and I love that I've got the ability to share your journey because there's so many women that fall into the situation that you're in which is realistically you were doing what you'd call a reasonable exercise routine you were training three to four times a week you were eating like you had your time blocks and things like that but you weren't deliberately fasting all day or you know you weren't bulimic or anything like that you were to a degree what people would encourage others Mm. to live like and yet it still had those repercussions on your health so thank you so much for being open enough to share that with us and I really hope that you sharing that journey has helped other women that are in the exact same spot as you were no worries thank you so much I think it comes down to what your body is happiest in isn't it we can't decide what shape we want our bodies to be really so I think that's what it was my body was like I'm not happy in this size that you're trying to put me in um, you need more fuel and also you need to sort your stress out. <laughs> oh, and yeah. no, if I could preach that to anyone, as you said, it's our bodies are so unique and they need what they individually need. And if that means you're in a smaller body or a bigger body, or you can train more than someone else, or you need to train less than someone else, it is what it is. And you've just got to embrace it. Yeah. You know, okay. one body, be happy. All right. Thanks so much, Tash. Thanks so much for listening in on today's episode. I hope you really enjoyed it. And I'm always so grateful for your time and your decision to listen in to the It's a Mind Game podcast. If you didn't already know, I have created a health and fitness journal, which is available to download for free from either my Instagram or my link tree, which I will include in the show notes. It's just a means for you to assess and review how exercise is impacting your mind and your body. Um, If you have any questions about it, feel free to DM me or send me an email. Um, I hope you have an incredible day and I look forward to you tuning in on the next episode.